Wonderful to be uh, in front of you again today. Uh, I certainly hope that our time together is spent well. Uh, if you would, open up in your Bibles to Matthew 5. Bryant has given me the option for this, so what I'm going to do is, for this period, uh, I will try to open up for questions toward the end, uh, if you have any questions about this that might be useful for further uh, consideration, uh, but we'll just go through the lesson as it is. We're looking in Matthew 5 and verse 13. It's, uh, again, good to be with you this morning, thankful for your presence, and uh, hopefully our study together will glorify God. In Matthew 5, of course, we have the Sermon on the Mount, which is, uh, I mean, really one of the most brilliant things ever put to pen, in my opinion. I just don't think you get this uh, level of wisdom uh, anywhere else, really within the Scriptures as well, although there's so much of the Proverbs in this and and, and, uh, the Psalms. There's a particular passage in verses 13 through 16, where Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Some of us are going to be more suited for leadership than others. Certain people, I think, have an innate ability to go into a room and sort of command the room. And this is a really interesting and good thing in some respects. But we note also that it takes restraint to use that properly in the kingdom. And maybe that thought leads us to think that, well, if I can't do that, maybe I'm just not cut out to be a leader. I'll let others lead. I really think Jesus' words here impact us in such a way to come to a very different conclusion. Jesus telling them you are the salt of the earth, that they are the light of the world, is that dependent upon their own abilities or their own natural tendencies in personality or otherwise? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Can we choose any other path? Can we choose to be the one that pulls back and says nothing? May I suggest that the one who pulls back and says nothing can be more dangerous than the one who can come in and command the room. The Christian, I believe, is called to leadership in being the salt of the earth in the sense that we are the ones who give the flavor. We're the ones who uh, uh, ultimately we recognize that we are called to this. And I don't believe, I'm looking at my PowerPoint here, and I think I missed the first slide, so my apologies there. We will pick up on that slide in just a second, but you can look at your handout and see that the Christian is indeed called to leadership. Uh, I want to note with salt of the earth, though, if I lose my flavor, I'm useless. And we talk about when we study Matthew, 
that, that this was you know, the idea that they would pack the salt onto the meat in, in the ancient world to preserve it. It was a preservative measure. And people still do this all over the world, by the way. Uh, if you've heard of biltong, it's something they make uh, in Africa. And it's sort of like a jerky type thing, but it's very soft as well. So uh, it's, 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 uh, I'm told it's really good. But uh, that's basically what they do is they pack the salt onto that. Well, the salt after that, the flavor of that salt is absorbed into that. You can't reuse that salt. So it gets cast down. That's why he's talking about uh, it's good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. The light of the world, the city that's set on a hill. I want to notice it's hard to move a city once it's built. Once it's built up on that hill, you can't just pull it up and put it somewhere else. It's there for all to see. And let me suggest this is where you have chosen to be. No matter who you are, no matter what direction of life you come from, if you've chosen to follow Christ, you've chosen to be that city set on a hill, you are the example. And if you unseat yourself and move yourself away, you're pretty much possibly leaving New Jerusalem at that point. Your lampstand. They don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. They put it on a lampstand. As I understand it, in the ancient world, they would have a little uh, hole or some sort of shelf up on the, 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 near the ceiling of the room. And you would take your little lamp, your little oil lamp, and you would light it and you would set it up there. And it was set up there so all could see. You wouldn't hide it. What's the point of hiding it? It gives light to all who are in the house. And let me suggest this is how we as Christians shine our light. The world needs to see Christians who are dedicated, who are focused leaders. And let me suggest as well that if you are not that leader, then something needs to change. We don't get to check out from our duties of leadership. A man told me once that, you know, I lead people at my work every day. And I don't want to be a leader when I come here. <laughs> I don't want to be a leader when I come in, you know, and, and be with the Lord's people. And it sort of amazed me that he would be willing to be a leader in the secular world, but he was, would cast off something that, and he was talking about the eldership, he would cast off this idea of an office that the Lord says, this is a good work. That's amazing to me. I don't think I would want to go to judgment before God, having cast off something that he said was a good thing, a good work. Now, I want to say, too, I'm not just talking about leadership in the sense of the eldership. I'm not talking about leadership even just in the sense of public, uh, visible leadership. All of us, in our own ways, are leaders. And I hope for us to Look at that today. We have a need for leaders. And I want to note, uh, in, in 1 Samuel 8, we might turn there, that God wants leaders, not a leader. He doesn't expect us to just have one person in charge. I hope and I, I trust that uh, in Anniston, where I work with the Golden City, uh, Golden City, Garden City, Golden City, Golden Springs congregation, uh, I work with that group, but I certainly trust and hope that everybody there understands that I am not the leader of that group. 
The same thing here. I'm sure that y'all understand that Bryant is not the leader of this group, as capable and, and thankful we are to have him in our lives. We recognize that God expects everything not to just be left up to one man. In 1 Samuel 8 and verse 18, remember when the people were crying out for a king so that they could be ruled like the nations? See, that's the same thing that happens today. And sometimes it'll happen under the, the, the table, so to speak, that a preacher sort of ends up leading a congregation, maybe out of necessity. Maybe no one else wants to step up to the table and make suggestions and drive things. And what a shame that is. Because Samuel says to the people in 1 Samuel 8 and verse 18, You will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. You see, God doesn't want us to be led like the world. We have churches in this world that are led by a single man. That Typically, I'll say that's the Baptist mindset, that we're going to have this one pastor, then we have the deacons under him, and he leads the church. Okay, but where do you see that in the Bible? I don't see in the Bible a single pastor system. I just don't see that. Everywhere you look, it's multiple elders. We may feel inclined to go too far in another direction where there is no leadership in this. Maybe there are congregations that feel like the business meeting model, maybe that's a little more uh, democratic and we feel like everybody has a voice and why should we limit it to the eldership? I know not everybody's going to say those things, but maybe they think those things. And whatever good reasons we might have for it, it still doesn't approach what we see in the Bible. In Proverbs 11:14, the proverb author says, Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Notice, <coughs> excuse me, notice that he does not say, in a multitude of power under one ruler, there is safety. He says, in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. So really, what we need to see is that the more leadership we have in a local congregation, the better off we are. And again, certainly, we can say the more elders we have, the better off we are, but in a very general sense... If we have everybody on the same basis and recognizing that I need to step up. I need to be that city on the hill. I need to be that salt of the earth. I need to preserve the saints. And it's on my shoulders to do that. But not just my shoulders. All of my brethren working together. My brothers and sisters lifting each other up and watching out for each other. And caring for each other. Then the better off I am. Leadership is needed, I think, because many are weak. Paul refers to this in 1 Corinthians 11. In verse 29, For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Now, you remember in that passage, he's talking about the Lord's Supper. I don't believe when Paul says, not discerning the Lord's body, that he's literally talking about I'm not thinking about the Lord's body on the cross. I'm not saying that that's not involved. But I think when he's talking about the Lord's body, he's talking about us. All of us. 
So, so when we think about that, and later on in the next hour, we're going to be partaking of the Lord's Supper, and those of us who are Christians, we recognize we're a part of that great body of saints. Not just including us, but includes all those who have gone on to sleep in Christ. And who still live with God in that sense. So not discerning the Lord's body includes this aspect of recognizing that we there, there may be uh, some many who are weak and sick among us, just like the Corinthian brethren. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 14, Paul says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. You see, there, there's an aspect of order to the kingdom. And God expects us to maintain that order among ourselves. And we don't do that by just one person calling the shots. We do that by everyone stepping up and being the leaders that we need to be. Leadership is needed for our great work in the kingdom as well. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, The things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see, Timothy was being encouraged to go and teach and let those who are taught become teachers themselves. And let those teachers go and teach other people. And those will become teachers. And they will go and teach other people. You see, it's sort of like a pyramid scheme. But in a good sense. It's a recognition that we're ex expected to spread the gospel in that way. You see, none of us, I, I really hope that what you, get, what you get from this lesson is that none of us have the option of holding back. None of us has the option of saying, I'll let the preacher do all the studying. None of us has the option of saying, even if you have elders, I'll let the elders do all the visiting. I'll let the deacons do all the help and the things like that. No! You have something worthwhile within you to give and to share. And we need to know that. Hebrews 6 and verse 10 Hebrews 6 and verse 10. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You see, we're supposed to be active in the kingdom. We're supposed to be workers in God's kingdom. And even though we've got this train track by here, and I heard the train going by yesterday, and I was just, I wasn't too distracted by it, but I was like, I, I bet they hear that just about every service. But, you know, you think about that too, it's like, that, you know, it's a sense of recognizing the gospel, it moves on. And we need to move with it and understand that work is necessary. I want to note, too, that leadership can always be abused. One of the biggest complaints we have when people talk about the eldership is, well, these elders didn't do this in this particular situation. This eldership didn't do what they were supposed to do, and so X, Y, and Z. And, and I'm, not, I'm not debating that. We're all humans. We have problems. We're going to make mistakes. 
in some eldership's case, they have made mistakes to a point where it, it is sin. And we recognize that, and we see that, and we work through that. My point, though, is that we always need to recognize that we have sin in this world. And a lack of leadership will breed that sin. And I would suggest the book of Judges proves this. They didn't really have a leader per se. There was a lot of sin involved there. But even still, with the monarchy, they still had this problem. But in 1 Samuel 8 and verse 5, I want to kind of step back to that. Remember the people were asking for a king to lead them like the nations? But think about their criticism for Samuel. Was that a valid criticism? 1 Samuel 8 and verse 5, Look, you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now pause right there. Was that true? Absolutely that was true. Samuel's sons were not walking in his way. Sadly, it seems like Samuel had fallen prey to the same issues that Eli had dealt with with his sons. So we recognize that we see that. But here's where the problem is. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. That's the issue. The problem is real. The solution was that they needed to turn closer to God. That, that they need to work, maybe, uh, maybe Samuel's sons need to work on things too, but in their minds, leadership was needed, and the problem was they were not content to be led by God. 1 Samuel 8, 19. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They said, no, but we'll have a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Isn't it such a temptation to want to be like the other churches in the religious world that we see? Isn't it such a temptation? I, I'll tell you right now, we could fill this, this building right now today. I, I really believe that. If we promise the right things, if we ask people in this area, what do you want out of a church? Have you ever been asked that before? What do you want out of a church? Now, is that the right mindset? Why aren't we asking, what does God want out of the local church? That's number one. And, and, and we, we recognize that and we see that. The key to godly leadership is to ask, which way are you leading? Which way am I going in this? In Galatians 4.17, 4, Paul says there, they zealously court you. He's talking about the Judaizing teachers that were teaching the brethren in the first century that you have, you have to be circumcised just like the old law says to be a Christian. But he says, they zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you. You may be zealous for them. And of course, third John, we mentioned Diotrephes yesterday. Diotrephes himself, uh, he was a leader of some ways, but he was abusing that leadership. He was abusing his influence by saying, hey, these people, I don't want these people in the church because I say so. Versus, what does God say so? See, sometimes as a leader... You restrain your own preferences. Maybe you think, well, this person is not really going to be very useful in the local church. Well, you don't know that. So as leaders, we need to be restrained, uh, use restraint in that. God warns Christians to honor their shepherds. And we want to remember that too. God commands Christians to honor their shepherds. Hebrews 13, 17, Obey those who rule over you. Be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. 
First Peter 5, verse 5, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Like, yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let me say this, too, about distinguishing between the eldership and the general notion of leadership that we're talking about today. When I'm talking about being, in general, stepping up, being that salt of the earth, the city set on the hill, you don't get to carry the same level of authority as an elder. You don't get to expect that others bow to your whim or, or, or just follow what you say. Elders are the only ones that really get to do that. And even then, they're told in 1 Peter 5 not to lord it over the flock. So this is a great sharing. This is a wonderful voluntary relationship that we're being shown here. That this leadership is not about stomping all over others. It's about promoting the goodness in others and encouraging others. Sadly, God has warned throughout time against shepherds who do not shepherd. In Isaiah 56, he mentions that I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. All you beasts of the field come to devour all you beasts in the forest. His watchmen are blind. They're all ignorant. They're all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yes, they are greedy dogs which never have enough. And they are shepherds who cannot understand. They all look to their own way. Everyone for his own gain. From his own territory. Come, one says, I will bring wine. And we will fill ourselves with intoxicating drink. Tomorrow will be as today and much more abundant. What God is, is showing through Isaiah there is that this is what Israel's shepherds had become. Their rulers were corrupt and useless in terms of what God had appointed them for. Very similar statement in Jeremiah 23. He says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, against the shepherds who feed my people, you have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Lord. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Let me just pause and and let's recognize, isn't that what we have right now? We have that right now in the kingdom. What an awesome gift that God has given us. Our king reigns in heaven and we prosper in his kingdom. And we are called upon to be ruling and reigning with him. You know, the book of Revelation calls us priests and kings. Depending upon the translation. He's given us a kingdom is, is another way that's phrased. But, and I don't, I don't pretend to know all that that means to rule with Christ. But I think one part of it, at the very least, is that we have the truth that he's given And by proclaiming that truth, we are expanding the rule of the kingdom one person at a time. 
That's how it works. I think this is the same notion that Jesus was saying to Peter in John 21. John 21 and verse 15. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I really don't believe that Jesus was saying this to Peter because he was going to set him up to be the leader of the apostles. Some people look at Peter that way. I don't really see that. I see Peter's personality. I see that Peter was the kind of guy that would come into a room and take control of it. And just sort of, you know, be the... And again, that's not a bad thing. But Peter learned, I think, to restrain that. Even in the book of Galatians, we note that he had further lessons to learn about that down the line. And Paul, in his heroism, was able to stand up to him in that way. But I really think, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, isn't that the work of the local church? I remember... Early on, when I was trying to figure out all this stuff, I, I, a brother really helped me by, you know, I asked him, what do you do when you don't have elders? How, how, how does the work of the church go? And he asked, well, you know, there, there's still work to do, right? You see, you do that work. You see, operating outside of an eldership, yes, technically we don't have a scriptural model for that. Except in the cases of Paul and Barnabas starting churches, and later on, you know, uh, uh, Paul telling Titus to you know, go through and establish elderships. So we don't have a whole lot there. But I do think it's important that we note that, that the work still needs to be done, no matter what the situation. And so my thought is that that responsibility of the eldership then falls upon all of us to accomplish. And in the meantime, we work toward that eldership. And we'll talk about that in the, in the next hour. Leadership demands a full focus on Jesus. And really, I think a lot of this comes down to being willing to lead. Romans 12.10, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. It's interesting when you note that the ESV version of this, it says, Outdo one another in showing honor. That term honor has with it this idea of value. We're valuing each other. We're appreciating each other. And that, that's what leadership in the kingdom is all about. It's not about taking charge and just driving people in a certain direction. It's about stepping up and caring more for your brothers and sisters. And, and honoring and valuing them. 1 Corinthians 4 Verse 15, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. He's talking about in the sense that you have all these teachers, but you need more leadership. You need more fathers, in a sense. 
And let me suggest the reason we lack leadership is because of a simple refusal to lead. And this is a strong statement. Hopefully it's taken in the right way. We will stand in condemnation and judgment if we consciously choose to not be a leader. Women, men, I'm, I'm speaking with, to all of us, including myself. We're called to be a leader in our particular roles. And there's a necessity there. So by being willing to lead, we're focusing on Jesus because he was willing to lead. By having self-control in leading. I'll just quickly run through these. You have the passages on your handout. But the apostles led with restraint. Again, when Peter was saying, excuse me, Paul was saying, imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. Was, was uh, Paul expecting people to follow his uh, errors or his weakness necessarily? No. In the ways that I imitate Christ, you imitate that. <laughs> and, and that's what he wanted. Elders are to lead with restraint. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Going on uh, so forth. Again, we don't have time to read all of these. Husbands are to lead with restraint. Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. You don't get to love your wife in any other way. I mean, all of that is included in that. I, I want to I recognize that, right? That if I love my wife as Christ loved the church, then that really takes care of everything, doesn't it? Everything else is covered. Colossians 3.19, Husbands, love your wives. Do not be bitter towards them. It's so important to remember these things. Wives are to lead with restraint. Ephesians 5, Submit to your own husbands, wives, as to the Lord. Just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Again, I would say too, you don't submit to your husband's sin. You don't submit to your husband's uh, errors. You try to encourage him and help him along. But in 1 Peter 3 and verse 1, again, uh, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. You see, the soul is what's most important in this leadership factor. I'm focusing on the fact that I want this person to be saved. Young people are to lead with restraint. Let no one despise your youth, Timothy is told. And I want us to again note that in seeking to be a leader, we're not commanding the authority of an elder, but we're being an example to others. A full focus on Jesus also includes seeking the wisdom of God. Remember when Solomon sought the wisdom of God in 1 Kings 3? He says, uh, how can, who is able to judge this great people of yours? He says, I, I, I'm limited. I don't have everything I need. Which is fascinating because he was a very wealthy king. He'd been given a lot by his father David. But he sought wisdom from the Lord. And I want to note too, he asked for wisdom. He didn't ask for riches. But in 1 Kings 4, we note that God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding, largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Can I also suggest that leaders need that largeness of heart? We need that big heart that, that cares about others and wants to involve ourselves in their lives. But even more than that, we note that he did give him riches as well, in, in addition to that wisdom. We have those same promises in a sense in James 1, we're told if I lack wisdom, I need to ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. 
He has it ready. So again, if you're in a place where you don't feel like you're up to being a leader in this way, then, then really maybe the first step is prayer to God. Asking God to help you in these matters. To step up and to be what you are supposed to be. To be what Christ made you. See, when you rise, rose out of that baptistry, that's where you were. That's the place that you were set to be in. And this is not for personal glory. This is for God's glory. And that's why I say, a full focus on Jesus includes remembering the true head. Jesus, of course, was the answer for sinful Israel. I want to turn to Isaiah. Isaiah 33. Again, there's a number of passages that we're going to look, we can look at here, but I want to look at Isaiah 33 and recognize that Jesus was the answer for sinful Israel and he's the answer for us today. Isaiah 33 and verse 14. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly. He who despises the gain of oppressions. Who gestures with his hands, refusing bribes. Who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed. And shuts his eyes from seeing evil. He will dwell on high. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. Bread will be given him. His water will be sure. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty. They will see the land that is very far off. Verse 21. But there the majestic Lord will be for us a place of broad rivers and streams in which no galley with oars will sail, nor majestic ships pass by. Sinful Israel needed Jesus just as much as we need Jesus. Because here's the thing, nobody in Israel was able to walk this way. But Jesus was incarnated as the Word. The Word came down and dwelt among us, and He did all of these things. I'll leave the rest of the passages with you to look over in the handout, but I just want to take a few few minutes here. Does anybody have any questions or, or comments about the lesson or anything that maybe I wasn't clear enough about?